Let's take our Bibles this evening, all right, and jump right into it. And we'll be in James chapter number two, okay? James chapter number two tonight. And as many of you know, we're in the book of James on Wednesday evenings and going through it, trying to go through it verse by verse and book or chapter by chapter. <clears throat> and as we come back to it, though, it'd be good for us to remember that James, again, he is writing to Jewish believers. And these believers have been scattered abroad from their homes. They're not where they grew up. They're not in Jerusalem. They're not even in Israel, all right? They have been scattered from their homes largely uh, due to the cruel persecution that they have been suffering from the religious and political crowds of the day. And it would seem that this uh, uh, persecution was that first big wave, if you will, against the early church in the first century at this time in which James is writing and uh, writing about. But it would seem to be about that first big wave. So keep in mind, as James is writing, he is writing to individuals who are hurting, struggling, suffering, confused, and just need help. And so that's what James wants to do. He wants to sit down, instruct them, help them, and encourage them through this difficult time that they are facing with this general epistle which, which he writes, all right? So keep that in mind every time you come to the book of James and, and as you read it for yourself and as we study through it, all right? I think that'll help us. But as we move forward here, we've made our way to chapter number two. And if you remember, uh, last time we began chapter number two last week, we took note of this sin, the sin of partiality. Uh, you see, it would seem that some of the believers at this time were showing favoritism to some, some sort of degree. And this favoritism in particular had to do with the rich people versus the poor people. It would seem that as they would meet together, some of the believers were showing favoritism to the rich as they came to their meetings. And if you were rich, they knew about it, saw what you were wearing, and uh, they knew about how, how wealthy you were, they would give you the VIP treatment, all right? They'd roll out the red carpet just for you. But if you were poor, of course, they knew about it, well, not so much. As James would say to them, you have despised the poor. But to combat against this type of temptation to be partial in their ways, James told them to, to do this, to act upon the royal law, which was what, church? Do you remember what the royal law was? I'm going to re-preach that message. All right, so to go back. No, I'm just kidding. The royal law was something about a neighbor and yourself. There you go. Love your neighbor as yourself, okay? And that term was kind of coined by James being the royal law. But that's how they were to combat against this temptation of being partial in their ways. But be reminded when it comes to loving your neighbor, it is not a matter of geography. Meaning it's not the person that you live beside, okay? Rather, this is a matter of opportunity. I like what Wearsby said about this. He said, the important question is not who is my neighbor, but rather to whom can I be a neighbor to? And that's how we combat against partiality, looking for the opportunities to be a blessing and a help to others. So understand, I believe that the Lord will give us opportunity to be just that, to be a neighbor, to be a blessing. He will give us his opportunities to be a help. And when the Lord does that, I want to encourage you, act upon them. Act upon those opportunities to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I wanted to remind you of that. I wanted to remind you of that we looked at last Wednesday because this leads into this next section of verses that we're going to deal with. Because the next section of verses deal with these two things. Faith 
and works. Now, just so you know from the very get-go before we dive into the message, some folks down through the years, they have struggled with these verses we're going to read. Uh, they have struggled with them. They have gotten mixed up with them and even gotten the verse themselves confused. Uh, they have become confused on what James is really trying to convey. And some have gone so far with this confusion, with this uh, mix-up, they've gone so far as to even deny that this book of James should be in the canon of Scripture. And because of this confusion, because of what they've been taught regarding these verses. And one of those individuals was a very famous individual, and he was also my great, 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 great opa. And uh, you may know him as Martin Luther, all right? But uh, no, I have no clue if I'm, if I'm related to him or not. It'd be kind of cool to find out since my heritage is from Germany, but anyway. But even Martin Luther himself was a little confused on this book, and he referred to this book of the New Testament, this epistle here, as a epistle of straw. But I believe that this is largely due to the major pendulum swing in his life. You see, you understand, Martin Luther, at one time in his life, was a Catholic monk. And being a Catholic monk, he believed you had to work your way into heaven. And as he believed this way, he struggled with feelings of condemnation and inadequacy until he came, as he's reading the scriptures, and came to the, to the verse that says, The just shall live by faith. And, of course, the rest is history, as he would nail the 95 Thesis and the Wittenberg, Wittenberg, <laughs> Wittenberg Castle Church door. But he struggled with this book, especially these verses we're going to read at this here in just a moment. But he struggled with it even after he came out of the Catholic Church, primarily because the Papal priests would try to justify their stance on a works-based salvation as they would look at the gospel records through the lens of this book of James. But their interpretation, of course, of what James is trying to convey would be wrong. Absolutely wrong. So just keep that in mind. These verses that we're about to read, some folks, well, they, they struggle with it. Many have struggled with it. Let's look at it this evening and try to clear some things up if you have struggles with these verses. All right, look at it with me. In James chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 14. We'll just read down to the end of the chapter, all right? But we'll primarily stay in verses 14 through 20 for this evening, and then we'll finish up the message next Wednesday. All right, but look what the Bible says. James chapter 2 and verse 14. What doth it profit, my brethren? Though a man say he hath faith and hath not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed in the field, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe... And tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by our works when he offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seeing thou have, seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith Abraham believed God, it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. 
You see then how that by works a man is justified, not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Our fathers, we look at these verses in this text this evening. I pray that you to help us to have an open heart, open mind, and see the truth of the word of God. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to solidify these things this evening. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now look, as we read these verses here, some folks, again, they get confused and think, is James actually saying that we are saved, justified by good works? Is he saying that we must have good works in order to gain access into heaven? What is he really saying? Is that what he means? Now, I would say with emphatic no, not at all. James is not saying we are saved by our works. He is not emphasizing works in order to obtain salvation. He is not saying we are justified by our good works. He is not emphasizing our works in order to gain access to the Father. Rather, the emphasis I believe he is placing here is on this. It's on our faith. That's the emphasis. You see, in these verses, you will find the word faith or believe in one form or another some 13 times. And just be reminded what these, these words, what faith, what belief means. It means to believe in. It means to have confidence in, to have conviction in. And be reminded we operate on faith every single day. I want to prove it to you. You ready? Raise your hand if you drove to church today. Okay. Did you know that when you drove to church today, you operated on faith? You said, yeah, because I came down I-26. Well, yeah, you may have, all right. But you operated on faith. By faith, you got in your car and turned the key, expecting it to turn on, yes? Maybe you prayed before you did, I don't know, but you expected it to turn on. And then by faith, as you drove to church, you had um, even greater faith that the other people driving on the same road would not hit you. And that they would obey that little double yellow line and not cross it over and have a head-on collision. By faith, I'm telling you, you drove to church this evening. We operate in faith every single day. But the difference about every single day faith and saving faith is this. It's the object. You see, faith always has an object. We always have faith in something. You had faith in that pew that would hold you up and not fall as you sat down this evening. You operate in faith. But faith always has an object. And when it comes to true saving faith, the object of our faith is the Lord Jesus Christ and nothing else. It is in the Lord. Faith in His completed work for redemption for all mankind, which is the gospel, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our salvation is in Jesus and in Him Alone. So please, as you read these verses, James is not preaching a salvation or justification by works because that doesn't work. Rather, he's emphasizing faith and trying to identify what type of faith a person has. And the first type of faith that we can see, as James points it out, is this one, number one. And this is where we'll land for the rest of the evening. But it's this one, number one. He points out a lifeless faith. Again, look at verse 14. What doth it profit, my brethren? Though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? 
If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be warmed in the field, notwithstanding give them uh, not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, lifeless, dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say that has faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God that doeth well, the devils also believe and tremble. Wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Look, we know today that there are people who would claim to know God with their lips, yes? Uh, they would say, I have faith in God. People would say today that I am okay with the big man upstairs, which, by the way, I despise that when people say that. When they refer to our holy, almighty God as the big man upstairs. Because understand, that big man upstairs is the very one with his voice spoke everything into existence. And I think we should offer a little bit more reverence than saying the big man upstairs. That's a little pet peeve of mine in rabbit trail, okay? But still, people will say things such as that and, and trying to portray that they have some kind of faith, trying to portray that they know God in some way or another. Yet when you compare the works that they do with the words that they say, those words fall very empty and lifeless. Do they not? That's what happened here. It is true, as true as it is today, when people say things like that, it doesn't match up with the way that they walk. It would seem to be true in the first century as well. Again, as the preacher said in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. So it would seem in the first century, there's the same type of individuals. It would seem in the first century church, there's the same type of even individuals then. You see, there were those to whom James was writing who claimed to have saving faith and yet did not possess True salvation. Understand, whenever there is true salvation, there will always be a counterfeit salvation offered. This is how the devil works. Listen, everything God ordains, the devil will try to oppose. And it doesn't matter the time or age in which we live, whether it's the first century or 21st century. The devil will always try to oppose the Lord. And this will always be true until... That nasty snake is cast into the lake of fire and burned forever. That's what's going to happen. Always going to be opposing. Always offering a counterfeit. But understand, whenever there is true salvation, the devil will offer a different way. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord... Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And then thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Listen to folks that Jesus was referencing here. They have come to the Lord on their own terms. They have come to the Lord on their own merit. They have come to the Lord based on what they have done and what they have said. Uh, listen, they think they will enter heaven based on themselves, and that is a lie from the devil himself. What I'm trying to get at is there's always a counterfeit to true salvation. But listen, this is not how it works. Again, our salvation is not based 
on our merit. Rather, it's based on Jesus, on his death, on his blood, on his burial, on his resurrection. Jesus made the only way to the Father. And that's why the Bible says this very emphatically. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Hebrews 7, 25, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come to God, unto God by him. By who? By Jesus Christ. And anyone who attempts to gain salvation in any other way, listen to me, that is a lifeless faith. I like again how Wiersbe put it. He said, people with dead faith substitute words for deeds. They know the correct vocabulary for prayer and testimony. They can even quote the right verses from the Bible, but their walk does not measure up to their talk. They think that their words are as good as works, and they are wrong. Look, we are talking about faith this evening, and what James hits hard first is this type of faith, a lifeless faith. And then he gives an example of what that looks like. Look at it with me in verse 15 again. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed in field, notwithstanding ye give not them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? So, so James is pointing out a dead faith, and he gives an illustration of what that looks like. And maybe this was a personal illustration. Maybe he had seen with his own eyes. Maybe he noticed it one day as he was with a meeting with these individuals to whom he is writing. But either way, if, he, if it was a personal uh, illustration or not, either way, he points out an illustration as he says this. He said, look, there came in somebody in your fellowship, and it was a pretty poor believer, a, a brother or sister. They were poor. And he noticed they had a great need, and their need was just simple basics of life. You saw that they were naked. They needed proper clothing. You saw they were hungry. They needed food, nothing extravagant, just the simple things to sustain life. And no doubt you guys saw them, but that person with lifeless faith, that person with dead faith took notice of the situation, and here's what they said. I say said and not did because they did nothing. But here's what they said. Depart in peace. Be you warmed in field. Meaning this. You may go. We wish you well, my brother. Stay warm out there, okay? <laughs> I want to give you some Southern Christianese version. All right, you ready for this one? Here's how we would say it today. Oh, bless their hearts. Look at those clothes they have on, barely any at all. They're just torn and ragged. Goodness gracious, bless their hearts. I bet they're hungry. You know they're hungry. Oh, goodness. Well, we know God will take care of them. We'll just pray for them, okay? <laughs> it would be comical if it wasn't true. Because it happens. It happens. Unfortunately. Now, I want you to know I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for people in such situations. And I'm not saying that God will not take care of them. Because God does take care of his own. But here's how one way he does it. By bringing individuals who need that help into your path and mine. And God wants to use you and me to help them. I'll say amen for us. <laughs> That's how God helps others. Again, going back to the royal law. What is it again? Love your neighbor 
That's yourself. That's not about geography. It's about opportunity. And if we have the opportunity to help, we have the responsibility to help. As Paul put it in Galatians 6.10, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. And again, in that context, in Galatians chapter 6, it's in the context of sowing and reaping. And I believe when we take care of those individuals who may have opportunity to do so, God blesses even more abundance to us that do just that very thing. Sowing and reaping. But James brings up this illustration. Why? To help a person in need means this. It's an expression of love. And love should flow from the heart of a believer. Would you agree? All right. You should at least a believer who's walking in the Spirit because love is the very first element of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. The Apostle John put it this way in 1 John 3, 17 through 18. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but, how shall we love, John? But in deed and in truth. You know the parable of the um, Good Samaritan, right? That's another great illustration. It kind of brings the point of James here, I believe. But I'll read it to you in case you, you, you don't know about it. But Luke chapter 10 and verse 30 through 37 talks about this parable of the Good Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and, won- and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance, meaning here's an opportunity, and by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side, meaning he completely ignored him. He knew the situation, but no, other side, completely ignore him. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him, meaning he got a little bit further, a little closer, rather, to him and investigated the situation, but the Bible says, and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, which by the way, Samaritans were looked down upon by the priests and Levites, But a good Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set on on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto them, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now, Jesus speaking, which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. You know, it's interesting to me about this parable is these religious individuals in these verses, uh, both the priest and the Levite, very religious people. No doubt they were versed in scriptures. Uh, No doubt these individuals probably could teach the Scriptures, could explain the Scriptures. Uh, No doubt these individuals could have even even defended the Scriptures, but neither the priest nor the Levite demonstrated his faith. Defend it? Probably. Demonstrate it? Not even slightly. So these men could have defended the faith, but did not demonstrate their faith. And the question that James is posting, and he would even ask these individuals, 
But he's posting in our text here is this. Is that saving faith that these two men obtain? Is that a living faith that would point to a living Savior? Is that a faith that would, that would exclaim to the world around them that I know the Lord and it's proven by my actions? Let me ask you. Would the faith of these religious men in the parable of the Good Samaritan, would their faith be a living faith? Starts with an N, ends with an O. No. No. It would appear by their deeds that they have a lifeless, dead faith. And what Pastor James is getting at here is this. No, we're not saved by our good works. But if we are saved... It will be followed by good works. Big difference. Again, look at verse 17. Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. The word alone here, it means by itself. And folks, true saving faith cannot be by itself. It will always produce life. And life, it brings forth good works. One theologian put it this way. It is faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies can never be alone. Here's what Paul put it into the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But he goes on to say this. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now listen, if we have had an encounter with the God of heaven, then the evidence of this will be seen more than heard. It will be evidenced more by what we do than what we say. Because as we see from this first part of what James is saying, what we do reveals who we are. That's what he's getting at here. He's not saying you're saved by works, but he's asking, what kind of faith do you have? Are you actually really saved? Is it a lifeless faith? Is it dead? Because it will be seen. Time does tell, does it not? It really does. It really does. Can it be, can it be seen? Now, if you go over to Hebrews chapter 11, that chapter is commonly referred to as what of the Bible? The Hall of Faith. Hall of Faith chapter of the Bible. And there's many men and women, and some are even recorded here for, for James brought up, that will be in, in the Hall of Faith. And it's interesting as you look at their lives. But as you see, uh, as you talk about their faith, their faith is not just heard about, right? It's seen. It's seen. You can see it in the life of Noah as he what? As he built a boat waiting for rain. What was rain? They ain't seen rain. A flood? What is that? I don't know, but God says it's going to come, so I'm going to build a boat. He had faith in what he hadn't seen yet. had confidence in God. Who else is in the hall of faith that comes to mind? Someone tell me. Abraham. Abraham? Absolutely. Looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. God told him to get out of his city, the Ur of Chaldees. And listen, he by faith did that. It was seen. It was seen. Who else comes to mind? Hebrews chapter 11. Moses. 
Moses was in line to be the next Pharaoh. This dude could have had it all according to the world's standards, but rather chose to the afflict, be a, with the affliction of God's people than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. His faith was seen, so he had real faith. Who else comes to mind? Rahab, the harlot, absolutely. Her faith was seen as she threw out that red scarlet line at her window. It was seen, not just talked about. What else? Who else? Isaac, absolutely. Isaac and, and uh, uh, Abraham and Isaac is offering up his son. Who else? Yes, Sarah was named in there as well. Again, with Isaac, going to have a baby, she laughed. It's impossible, but yet she still trusted the Lord. Trusted the Lord, it was seen. What I'm getting at is when you see people of great faith, real faith, it is seen. I think that's what James is getting at here. If it's true, real, saving faith, it will not just be talked about, but there will be some things seen afterward. True saving faith is followed by good works. Not, not preceded in order to be saved, but followed. That's what James is getting at here. Look at it again with me. James chapter 2, verse 14. What doth it profit, my brethren? Though a man say he hath faith, have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warm in field, notwithstanding, you give them not those things which are needful to the body, but what doth it proffer? Even so faith. If it hath not works, it's dead, it's lifeless, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest there is one God that doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? There is going to be some works to follow. Now, we don't go and be fruit inspectors, but look. Walks like a duck. Quacks like a duck. A lot of times it's not a cat. Okay? There will be works that follow. I think these questions that James posts and conveys here as he writes is good for introspection on our own, on our own part, on ourselves. Because listen, if we have true saving faith, there will be works that do follow. Because we are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So this evening, James is trying to show our faith and one of, the, one of the things he shows when he talks about faith as he emphasizes that is this one, a lifeless faith. And next Wednesday we'll get to the second part of it, of a living faith.